Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we adore you, we glorify you, Father. We thank you for being a loving and cherishing God. We thank you for giving us your word and the opportunity to learn and receive from you through your word. Father, I pray that as we open up our scriptures today, as we dig through the Parsha, that you will lead, that you will guide, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives. You will use me as a vessel and a tool for your glory, and that nothing of me will be involved, that it will entirely be you speaking in the midst of this message. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. This week we are in Parsha Nitzavim, uh, which begins with Deuteronomy 29, verse 9, verse 10, if you have a traditional English translation. Um, and uh, this is the culmination of the blessings and curses uh, that we started with last week. Ultimately, they really kind of started early on in chapter 11, I think, of Deuteronomy. But the, the, the fullness of the message of the blessings and curses, the full reiteration of them, is in last week's Parsha, Kitavo, and then this week we close out that discussion of the blessings and curses in Parsha Nitzavim. Um, and so this is where we are. Uh, next week is actually my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, um, which I always find fun. Uh, I was lucky, I was blessed with having a Bar Mitzvah Parsha that is literally only one chapter. Um, you know, other kids have four or five chapters, I have one. I have one of the shortest parsha in the Torah, and I am loving it. Um, so, with that said, if you'll go ahead and open up your scriptures to Deuteronomy 29, verse 9, the beginning of this week's Parsha. It says, You are standing today, all of you, before Adonai your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the outsider within your camp, from your woodchopper to your water carrier. Each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai your God that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. This is in order to confirm you today as his people, so he will be your God, just as he promised you and just as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and this oath, but with whomever is standing here with us today before Adonai, our God, and with whomever is not here with us today. Uh, a couple of things that are really important in this short segment of this Parsha. First and foremost, uh, as we said, this is the closing of the discussion of the blessings and curses in this week's Parsha. God is wrapping up the discussion, and he's going to further hammer home the idea of what he's dealing with here. But he says, you are standing here today, and he starts to list every possible aspect of the nation of Israel, call Israel, all of Israel, that we could possibly imagine. Men, women, leaders, elders, judges, uh, I mean, he's naming everything off, even down to the foreigner living among you. Um, so he goes through everybody, he says, you are all standing here today. And this is kind of like at Mount Sinai. And remember I said that when we go into Eretz Israel and we stand at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal and the commands or the, the curses and the blessings are stated before the nation uh, upon the mountains, the mountain of blessing, the mountain of cursing, that it is a uh, reenactment for this second generation of Sinai, right? 
And at Sinai, one of the things God continually pointed out is you are standing here today, you in relationship with me. I am making a covenantal relationship between me and you. This is an oath and a covenant made between you and me. And he over and over again throughout the remainder of the Torah continues to deal with that issue. Well, this is the second generation. This is a generation that was not old enough to either remember or they weren't even there yet when Sinai occurred and their parents stood and accepted the covenant with God, and then ultimately down the road broke the covenant with God over and over and over again. So this is a new generation, and this covenant is being sealed with them just as it was with their forefathers, just as it was with the generation previous them. He goes on to say, each of you is to cross over, verse 11, each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai your God that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. Uh, The nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people were also called the Hebrews, The word ivri in Hebrew, or ever more directly, the root word, means to cross over. And so what God is saying is that when we become part of the nation of Israel, when we become a Hebrew, uh, what we are actually doing is crossing over from the ways of this world into the ways of God, into the ways of His Scripture, into covenantal relationship with Him. And I know it's a hard thing to wrap our heads around, but whether we're Jewish, and and Paul deals with this in Romans, right, where he talks about the natural and the unnatural branches both having to be grafted in because the natural branches were cut off due to unbelief, and both the unnatural and the natural branches are grafted in, and he says, how much easier is it, as as easy it was for him to cut off the natural branches, how much easier is it to cut off the unnatural branches if they become arrogant in their faith, and and so on and so forth. So we see this image that both the, the natural born, the Jew, Uh, becoming a believer, and the unnatural born, the Gentile becoming a believer, both have to make a decision to become a part of the covenant of Israel, right? We both become a part of that spiritual covenant with Israel. And so he says, each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai your God that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. This is not like Sinai where the entire nation entered this covenant, but now this is taking it one step further. This is a personal thing. This is you. This isn't you worried about your group of family and your tribe. This is you worrying about you. When we have a bar bat mitzvah in Judaism, uh, the, the, a lot of times in the modern world we call it a, uh, a rite of passage or the young man or the young girl, is bec- young man or young woman is becoming a man or a woman in the midst of their community and so on and so forth. But there's actually a greater understanding to the purpose of a b'nai mitzvah. And the B'nai Mitzvah is that we are standing before our family and our friends and our community and we are saying, I am no longer coming to synagogue. I am no longer serving God. I am no longer reading the word and and saying the prayers because my parents make me. I'm now taking responsibility for my own life and my own faith and my own walk with God. And so in the B'nai Mitzvah and and especially in a Messianic congregation where we take that to the next level and we're looking at it from the, the perspective of a believer in Yeshua, the reality is, is we are as individuals standing before God, before our community, before our family, and before our friends, and we are saying, I am crossing over. I am making, uh, uh, taking uh, responsibility for my own life and accepting this covenant with God upon myself. And then he goes on and he says, not with you, verse 13, not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and this oath, but with whomever is standing here with us today before Adonai our God and with whomever is not here with us today. The sages and the rabbis tell us that what God means by this little uh, verse, uh, two verses here, that God's saying it's not just the nation that stood, the, the second generation of Israel that stood uh, at the shores of the Jordan hearing the, the, the words of the Lord spoken through Moses that are taking on this covenant, but it's for every Jew that ever lives and every generation from then on. 
this covenant God is making with them. And just as God has made this covenant with every single Jewish person in the history of, of the Jewish people, it is also our responsibility as Jews to make that covenant from our side, to take it, to get in on it, to take charge of our relationship with it, and as believers in Messiah, because we know that the next step in the reality of that covenant, because that covenant was always just a foreshadowing of a greater covenant that was to come, that covenant is really a foreshadowing of the blood atonement of Messiah. And whether Jew or Gentile, we both are responsible, both us and every generation that follows, both the generation of Peter and Stephen and Paul and all that lived in the first century body of Messiah and every generation that followed since, both Jew and Gentile are required to take that covenant for themselves to take a part of it. God's already made his covenant with every generation that would follow. And now we have to step into that covenant and we have to take ownership of it. And the complicated part is not only to take ownership of it, but we have to, to, to heaven forbid, live by it, right? We have to actually honor that covenant. We have to live in relationship with God. He goes on in verse 18 of chapter 29. Now when somebody hears the words of this oath and in his heart considers himself blessed, thinking shalom will be mine, peace will be mine, even though I walk in stubbornness of my heart, thus sweeping away the moist with the dry, Adonai will be unwilling to forgive him, for then the anger of Adonai and his jealousy will smoke against him, uh, against that person. So all the oath that is written in this scroll will settle on him. That's dealing with the curse now, right? All of the oath of the curse. If you walk away from God, all of these bad things, these calamities are going to occur. Um, and Adonai will blot out his name from under the heavens. Adonai will single him out from the tribes of Israel for calamity according to the oaths of the covenant written in the scroll of the Torah. Now, another thing we recognize throughout the Torah is God keeps continually reminds us that if there is a single person with sin in their life in the community and we allow that person to remain there, we know that there's sin in that life, we allow them to remain there, guess what happens? That sin begins to infect everybody. And ultimately, the entire community can fall prey to it and can be led away from service to God. And so God says, this calamity is going to fall on this person. And ultimately, that, I think, is really an, a wake-up call to the community. Okay, all these really bad things. Oh, wait, everything God said is going to happen when you don't walk with him seems to be happening with this one dude. We might want to look into his life and, and maybe either try to, to get him to get back on track or get out of our midst because we don't want any of that, right? And then we go on to verse 1 of chapter 30. <clears throat> Verse 1 of chapter 30 says, Now when all these things come upon you, and this is as he's wrapping up the blessings and curses, now when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse that I have set before you, and you take them to heart in all the nations where Adonai your God has banished you, and you return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice according to all that I am commanding you today, you and your children with all your heart, with all your soul, then Adonai your God will bring you back from captivity and, you, and have compassion on you. And he will return and gather you from all the peoples where Adonai your God has scattered you. Verse 6, also Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. It says, when all of the blessings and the curses fall on you. Moses is speaking prophecy here. Moses is saying, look, God's well aware that you're human. He's well aware that you're going to mess things up. He's well aware that you're going to fall short, that you're going to sin. I mean, we didn't even make it away from the presence of God at Mount Sinai. I mean, he was, his presence was still on the mountain. We could still see the Shekinah of God uh, upon Mount Sinai. And you idiots built a golden calf and worshipped it and had a giant stuff around it. Um, in case kids listen to the podcast, I won't be 
as specific with what stuff was. But uh, you, the, he says, you know, you guys didn't even make it away from the mountain. I mean, his presence was right in front of you and you still sinned. So God's well aware that, that, that you're going to sin. He's well aware that you're going to mess things up. And he says, so when that happens, and both the blessings and the curses, and some translations say, and all the blessings and curses have come upon you. The image here is that there will be a period of time where the nation of Israel is going to walk in faithfulness with God and with this covenant that we have accepted. And we are going to receive the blessings and we are going to experience joy and shalom, peace in his midst in the nation of Israel. But then there will come a time where we will forget. Kind of like in uh, uh, Genesis, it says that there will come a day where, uh, or I'm sorry, in Exodus, it says that there came a day where a Pharaoh arose who knew not of Joseph, right? Joseph saved the entire empire, but there, will, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And so the idea here is there, may, there will come a day where we will forget, where we will know not the covenant we made with God, and we will walk away from it, and all of these bad things will fall upon us. And again, like we said last week, this doesn't mean God is not providing. It doesn't mean God is not actually blessing. It's just that because we're outside of His will, we do not recognize the blessings because we're so buried deep in where we are and what we want to do and who we want to be in contrast to what God wants and what He wants us to be. Verse 3 says, and this says, after everything has happened, after all these things have happened, after I banished you, verse 2, he says, and you returned out on your God and listened to his voice, according to all that I command you, and commanding you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, verse 3, then Adonai your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and he will return and gather you from all the peoples where Adonai your God has scattered you. Uh, verse 3 starts with the word veshav, uh, the root word of veshav, shuv, uh, which is return, and the, the rabbis look at this and they say, there's actually a deeper meaning to this. It's not just that when we return to God and we, we repent of our sins that he's going to forgive us and he's going to draw us back to the land. What they're saying is, is that this is actually speaking of Melech Mashiach, of King Messiah. And they say that, that the way it's worded, the way that the Shav is written as opposed to a more direct term that literally means he will bring you back, the way the Shav is used in this sentence, it's more akin to it saying, and he will return to you. And they say it's speaking of Melech Mashiach, King Messiah. Now, I want you to understand something. And this is one of the things I think is absolutely amazing. The Talmud says that verse 3 is saying that Messiah will return to you, right? But we're talking about people that don't believe he came yet. How's he going to return if he hasn't come already, right? You understand the complication here, right? They truly believe, and as I do as well, that Messiah is going to return. They just... Don't believe that he's already come and left so that he can return, all right? And that's where we've filled in the gap, is in order for him to return, he has to have first come. And we believe he has come as, as, as uh, uh, Mashiach ben, David, uh, ben, ben Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef the, the Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 3, and that he has died and been buried and resurrected and ascended on high and his blood poured out in the mercy seat that we could be righteous and holy by his blood, by the blood of the lamb, that when Melech Mashiach does return, when our King Messiah does in fact return to us, not just draws us back to him, but does in fact return to us, we will be in right covenant and relationship with him. And he goes on, verse six, and Adonai, also Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. This is a direct reference to 
uh, in Exodus where God says that he's going to circumcise the heart of the people. It's a direct reference to Moses saying that the people's hearts need to be circumcised prior to this. It's a direct reference to what's spoken of in Jeremiah 31 with the new covenant being written uh, upon our heart. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's a direct reference to what the Brechadashah, the new covenant writings speak of with the circumcision of the heart and the covenant being placed upon our heart and his words being written upon our heart and the relationship being one that starts from the inside, not from the outside. Because I know it's hard to believe, but we can't actually thou shalt not murder unless God's taking care of the thou shalt not hate stuff first, right? The inside's got to be spotless, or at least on that road to spotlessness. It's got to be cleansed by the blood of the lamb before the outside can ever follow suit. It's just not possible to honor the word of God. It's not possible to honor the covenant. It's not possible to honor the Torah without God providing the means and making the way. That was the whole point of the Torah, is to show us that we couldn't do it on our own. We needed a Messiah the whole time. Verse 19 of chapter 30, he says, I call on the heavens and the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. By loving Adonai your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell on the land that Adonai swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give them. Now, I want you to grasp this. I know that the body of Messiah has these lofty dreams of some extraterrestrial home out in the deep darkness of wherever and that's going to be heaven, and we won't ever have to deal with this rock again. And that, but if you actually read the Word of God, it says the new heaven, the new Jerusalem will descend upon the earth, that the covenant with the land of Israel is eternal, not until time ends. It is eternal. That means there is no, no time relevance in that covenant. Heaven and the, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem will descend upon the earth. Heaven will be in Eretz Israel, the, the heavenly made Eretz Israel. And so when he says here, by loving Adonai your God and listening to his voice and clinging to him, for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land that Adonai swore to your forefathers to give them, he's not literally just speaking of modern day Israel or first century Israel or, or pre the building of the Solomon Temple Israel or Canaan before Israel ever went into the promise. He's speaking of an eternal reality. This isn't just a here and now. This is an eternal reality that we may live forever in his presence in the land that he has built for us to dwell with him. We go forward to Romans chapter 10. Verse 3 says, For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. The man, does not live, uh, man, the man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, and then he starts to quote this week's Parsha, Parsha Nitzavim. says, do not say in your heart, who will go up into heaven? Now, when Moses wrote that, he was speaking of the Torah, the covenant of the Torah that was given him on Sinai, that was written on parchment that Israel had access to every single day. 
But here Moses is ta- or Paul is taking it one step further. He says, who will go up into heaven? That is to bring Messiah down. Or who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, richly generous to all who call on Him. He takes that one step further, because again, like I said, the Torah was never about us blindly following a list of rules and regulations, because blindly following a list of rules and regulations, God could have easily created uh, an organism that, that had no free will and would blindly do whatever He wanted. He didn't. He created us and gave us free will, knowing we're going to be idiots with it. And he wants us to take that free will to choose to honor the covenant that we are walking in, that we have made with him. But he also knows that it is impossible for us to honor this list of rules and regulations without there being a heart change, without there being a circumcision of the heart, without there being the word written on our flesh. He says, do not say who will go up to heaven as to get it for us, who will go down into the abyss to get it for us, because it is near. The word is near you. And Paul, again, like I said, has taken it one step further. It's not just the word as in the parchment that's inside our Torah ark or the, the, the print, the font that's in your Bible. He's talking about Yeshua. John 1, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's speaking of Yeshua. The word is now near us. It is inside of us. It is in our heart. The circumcision of the heart is the very presence of Yeshua in our heart. He is the Word made flesh, and now that is etched upon our heart that we may walk faithfully and fervently with Him, that we may honor that covenant that has been made with us generations back and that God had desired for us to join in with. Join in with. Second Chronicles 7, and I want to close with this. And I think it's important because 2 Chronicles 7, 14, uh, 7, 13, and 14 reiterates a great number of concepts from Nitzavim, from Parsha Nitzavim. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is so often quoted in the body of Messiah and very often without any real context to it. Anybody know when 2 Chronicles 7 was taking place? Historically, what Israel was doing when 2 Chronicles 7 was, uh, the, what's the, the account of what's in 2 Chronicles 7 was, was given? They're celebrating Sukkot. They were celebrating Sukkot right after the completion of Solomon's temple, the first temple. So they, they dedicated the temple, they rededicated the priesthood in this temple, and then they had this huge celebration, and immediately after the huge celebration, they celebrated Sukkot. So the first celebration that occurred within the temple in terms of an actual moed, a, an appointed day of Adonai, was Sukkot. And it's important to keep in mind because we know Messiah is coming back. We know that the, new, the, the heavenly temple will be here and we know that we will ultimately be celebrating Sukkot with him. We know that Sukkot has second coming implications. So it's beautiful that the first thing that was celebrated in the very first temple on earth was Sukkot, the feast of ingathering. And as they're celebrating Sukkot, this prophecy comes forth from Solomon. He says, then Adonai appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, verse 12, uh, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12. Then Adonai appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there is no rain or if I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people. 
talking about curses now, right? These are some of the exact same things that God says is going to happen when he details the curses of Israel, which means in order for this to occur, what has to have happened first? Israel has to have walked away from their covenant without an eye. We had to have turned our back on our covenant without an eye. He says, if I shut up heaven, that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And nobody ever wants to quote all that stuff, because that's all the weird, bad stuff. That's the judgmental side of God. We don't want any part of that, right? We don't want to look at that. So nobody ever wants to quote that, but they love to quote the next part. But in order for the next part to, to, to happen, in order for us to actually do verse 14, we have to recognize that we first jacked up everything else. And hence the reason we're down on our knees, suffering, hungry, starving, crying out for God's mercy. So verse 14 says, When my people, over whom my name is called, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. And this is an if-and statement. God says, if you do this, then I will do this. Don't think I'm going to do my part until you do your part first. When my people, over whom my name is called, humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We read in uh, Deuteronomy 30 verse 1, says, Now when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curses that I've set before you, and you take them to heart, and all the nations where Adonai your God has banished you, and you return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice according to all that I am commanding you today, you and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, then Adonai your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and he will return and gather you from all the peoples where Adonai your God has scattered you. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not a new concept. Solomon, or, or God is speaking to Solomon in this, this vision and uh, in this prophecy, and he's, he's referencing back to Deuteronomy 30. He's saying, look, the, bless, the blessings and curses. He says, when the time comes that these blessings and curses have befallen you, you've got to turn back to me. You've got to return back to me. And I want you to understand this. We spoke about how uh, Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 in the Talmud is, is discussed as having a direct pointing to Mashiach right, as Melech Mashiach will return for us if we turn back to him. And there's this beautiful image there. But I want you to understand something. First and foremost, he is coming back, and he is coming back for us. He will be coming back around this period of time because the spring feasts were all fulfilled in the first coming of Mashiach. The fall feasts will all be fulfilled in the second coming of Mashiach. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Judgment, Day of Atonement, uh, and then ultimately Sukkot, the Feast of Ingathering, and everything that goes along with that. We know that there are prophetic implications in each one of them. But I want you to understand that our Melech Mashiach is coming back, but he's only coming back for those that are marked by the blood of the Lamb. He's only coming back for those that are marked by the blood of the Lamb. It is more important now in this day than ever before that we see people come to faith. And I don't mean stand out on the street corner and preach, screaming at the cars driving by with the windows rolled up and their music blasting, not listening to us anyways. I mean, people need to see God in our lives. We've talked about this a lot lately. People need to see God in our lives. And I don't mean they just need to see that we're blindly following a list of rules and regulations either. They don't need to see that I wear a kippah and seat seat all the time. They don't need to see that I have a beard. They don't need to see any of that. None of that really matters for the outside. That's, that's a me thing. The seed seeders, so that when I look down upon them, I remember to keep his commands. Not so that when the nations look upon them, they are curious why these weird strings are hanging off my pants, or in this case, off a shirt. 
But the reality is, is that they need to see God, literally the presence of God in our lives. Because what God wants is for all of humanity to make that, that Deuteronomy 30 return, that 2 Chronicles 7.14 return. God wants all of his creation to return back to him. Keep in mind, God created all of humanity, not just the Jewish people. And as he has created all of us, we have all turned our back on him. And his desire is that we all return to him so that we are all marked by the blood of the Lamb and present and accounted for in the kingdom of our Messiah for all eternity. Our Messiah is coming back. That shofar blast will sound. The question is, one, are we going to be found righteous and holy? Yeshua says there will be those that will stand before the judgment throne and God will say, I don't know you, get away from me. And I say, but we did all these things in your name. He says, but I never knew you. How many of us think we know God, but we really don't actually have a relationship with him? How often as individuals do we take the time to actually sit down in prayer and seek the heart of God to make sure that we are right with him, that we're in the right place with him? That when the time comes, we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, not get away from me because I've never known you. Notice these, these, the, 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 what Yeshua talks about, these guys that are told to get away. They had no clue that they weren't right. All right? They had no clue. Now, they might have. I mean, I'm sure that in some way they knew they weren't 100% on board, but they thought because they invoked the name of Yeshua, they were going to be okay. There's a lot of people that think because they invoke the name of Yeshua, they think because they invoke the name of God, because they invoke the, the name of Jesus, because they invoke the church or Messianic Judaism or whatever, that they're going to be all right. I know there's a lot of people in Judaism that think just because we have Abraham's blood running through our veins, we're good. No worries. Well, but you know, it's not what my Bible says. My Bible says there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. The second thing is we need to look at our heart. I mean, deep introspection. These next 10 days, uh, starting tomorrow evening with Rosh Hashanah, the next 10 days in Jewish tradition are singularly set aside for the purpose of, of deep, deep introspection. And I don't mean just surface level, all right, I might have lied last week or three months ago or whatever, so God, I mean, deep down the stuff we don't even want to know about ourselves or remember, much less other people to find out about. Dig down deep. Allow the Lord to dig down deep and to draw forth those things that need to be handed over to Him, those things that we need to repent for. Because what God wants more than anything is that we return. Because ultimately, He is coming back for His own, for a bride that has been made spotless for Him. And it's important that not only are we a part of that bride, but that we've done everything and the power of the Ruach HaKodesh that God has given us to see that we are not the only ones on that boat. Messiah is coming. He is returning. And He wants nothing more than for us to understand that He loves us and cherishes us. And forgiveness and restoration is freely given. All we have to do is ask. You know, he says here in, in verse 3 of chapter 30, Then Adonai your God will bring you back from captivity 
and have compassion on you, and he will return and gather you from the, all the peoples where Adonai, your God, has scattered you. We talk all the time about how the time of Messiah's return is soon and near. But how many of you realize how literal some of these passages of Scripture about God drawing the Jewish people back from every corner of the globe really is? In the days that we live in now, we're seeing this happen. Not just bringing them to Eretz Israel, the modern state of Israel, but, but literally they're, they're coming out of the woodwork. We have tribes that have been found, uh, uh, distinctly ancient Jewish tribes that have been found in uh, Nigeria and Zimbabwe and uh, Ethiopia, in uh, uh, China and Japan. Um, in, uh, you have the, the Anusim, uh, uh, primarily in, in South America, who are, are coming out of hiding. The Anusim are the hidden Jews. The, 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 the um, Spanish Inquisition forced their families to hide that they were Jewish, and for generations they pretended to be Catholic. Still to this day, many of them pretend to be Catholic, while at the same time keeping Jewish tradition and customs in their own homes and their own lives. Uh, and, and they're afraid to show that they're really Jewish. There are plenty of, of Jews who were affected by the Holocaust, uh, Ashkenazim who were affected by the Holocaust, who are hiding the fact that they're Jews because they're afraid to ever see it happen again, but God is calling these people out. He is truly, literally drawing his people back from the, the four corners of the globe. It's a sign of the soon return of our Messiah. It's one that's probably more prevalent than anything we know of. And I think if that's not enough to make us want to get our lives right with God, we probably just don't want to be right with God. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, God. We thank you that for thousands of years, your word has reigned true. That you have never once spoken a word that did not become reality. And Father, we thank you that in the truth of the perfection of your word, that there is a trust that is able, that is available to believe in the truth of your salvation, of your restoration of Melech Mashiach's return, of our place in your kingdom for all eternity. Father, I pray right now as we prepare for these 10 days of awe, that even now you will begin to open our hearts, that you will begin to draw forth anything in our lives that needs to be brought to light in our relationship with you, that we may set those things aside, that we may uh, offer them at your feet for your forgiveness and your repentance and your restoration, that we may, even as believers, be washed new again in the blood of the Lamb, that our lives will shine forth the presence of Messiah in a way that it impacts the lives of those around us, that even in these, especially in these 10 days of all, but Father, from here forward, that just our presence in the midst of a crowd will draw people to repentance, will draw people to the truth of your salvation, not our words, not our ability to preach, but Father, just our presence, but more specifically, the presence of the living and jealous God in our heart and our life will draw forth repentance and restoration and salvation in the lives of those around us, in our families, in our friends, in our workplace, in the grocery store, in the malls, anywhere where we are, your presence will be. And we pray, God, that hearts are turned soft and malleable before you, and you have your way. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says,
Amen.